Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. May December, directed by Todd Haynes, was inspired by a real-life scandal in the 90s where a sixth-grade teacher was jailed for having sex with a pupil. They subsequently went on to get married and have a family. Julianne Moore plays a similar teacher, Gracie. Natalie Portman, who brought Sammy Birch's script to Todd Haynes, plays Elizabeth, an actress planning to play her in a film. And Joe, Gracie's new husband, is played by newcomer Charles Melton. Well, Dan Slevin asked Todd Haynes how far along the script for May-December was when he got involved. I mean, nothing was really locked down except that we had a, a draft of the script, and it was an incredible script. Um, and I had a lead actor uh, who brought me the script, who was obviously uh, going to play the actress in the film, uh, Elizabeth. But the script was something that kept evolving through the process of me getting involved in conversations that I had with Natalie about the script um, and with Sammy, which were an incredible part of the initial process of, uh, of sort of taking her instincts and I think, I think leaning into them even a little more boldly in that the films, uh, basically the film's indeterminacy, the, the, the fact that you couldn't completely um, find resolution that was comforting at the end of the film these were things that we felt could be even strengthened in in drafts that came out of our conversations. The fact that the film was set in in uh, Camden, Maine, very very different location than where we ended up shooting the film. We didn't really know when we would make it. I just knew I wanted to, and that I was interested in working with with Natalie in it. And it was very fast to make the decision that Julianne Moore, um, or, or at least offer Julianne Moore the, a read of the script to see what her temperature was like on playing Gracie. Once she read it and said she was really interested if I was directing it, I told, I asked Natalie what she thought of Julianne and she went through the roof. So (laughs) she was so thrilled. So, um, you know, uh, uh, every aspect of the film, I think became, um, specific to it as a film once we all joined in and once I brought my creative team on and and all the specifics of what it looked like and how it would be shot and what the music would be like and all of those things that I think are are hard to imagine uh, watching the film without uh, were obviously things that we all brought to the process. How, how do you choose your roles? Hmm. I want to find a character that's difficult to understand. Why are they like this? Were they born or were they made? I thought you were taller. You look look taller on television, but we're basically the same size. 
You used the word indeterminacy earlier on, which I think is just a wonderful word to describe this film because it's a really hard film to put your finger on in terms of exactly um, how to feel about it, but even necessarily what's actually happening at at, 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 at some points in the film. And I've tried to explain this to uh, to friends of mine who haven't seen it. Is it a film about a complicated relationship seen through the lens of an actor or is it about an actor's process as it's seen by what my actor friends call civilians? You know, that uh, it, it could be both at the same time or perhaps even neither in some ways. What, what's your take on it? I think what's so so impressive about the 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 script and its concepts and the way that it keeps um confirming even its own ambivalent aspects and letting you feel liberated as a viewer initially as a reader but then as a viewer to to be interrogating yourself as you watch it and to be shifting your allegiances and your trust in one character to the other, even against your own moral uh, kind of girdings, you know, like we obviously come with great suspicion around the character of Gracie, but it's only as Elizabeth becomes less and less reliable as a narrator in the storytelling that you find yourself inexplicably feeling uh, new compassion for for Julianne's character. And then, of course, both women in this sort of heated combat of powers ultimately yield space for us to start looking very closely at Joe and for his ability to start to take these very tiny steps toward his own um, recognition of his own self in, in, in the story. So I, uh, to me, I found it's as much about the politics of storytelling, truth-telling, who gets to tell the truth, who owns these stories, and at what service are they to the larger systems of power and morality and social norms that we all are confined by. You talked about um, a kind of neutrality or a shifting shifting perspectives through the film but there's one aspect of the filmmaking which sort of it it feels like it's um very consciously um wanting to provoke an emo- a particular kind of emotional response in the viewers and that's the choice of the music the score that you've um that you've got um Marcelo has taken with your encouragement, I think, uh, Michel Legrand's 1971 score to The Go-Between and reorchestrated it. Uh, but it has a very, very unusual tone that t- that's often feels like it's in conflict with what we're seeing on the screen. It's, um, you know, you've got these very benign, sort of domestic, polite situations, but the score is all foreboding and menace <laughs> and yeah uh, and i understand that you were you, you were playing some of that score while you were shooting and that that was what encouraged you tell us a bit about that how that informed the process the, it was this craziest uh craziest and most sort of uh 
delicious discovery while I was putting together my image book for the movie and what I usually do in preparation for a film, all the visual references that, that I, I hope will inform the director of photography, but also the designer. And, and in this, in this project, cause we had so little time, I just ended up sharing everything I was doing with everybody so that we were all together in it. Right. But around that time, I watched The Go-Between on, on Turner Classic Movies. It's a film that I had seen, I think, when I was when it came out, when I was a kid. But the film has basically fallen out of circulation in the United States. You can't get it on DVD in the United States. It's, it's not a film that, I, that is circulated. And so I watch it, and I was just... It's a beautiful film. It's a fantastic Losey film. It's, quite, it's a bit different from either The Servant or... or, or uh, accident but in tone but that score is like no other Losey film it's like no other Michelle Legrand score it's not like the scores that we associate in traditional melodrama it's not like Douglas Sirk it's not like Fassbender it's not like European art cinema it's like nothing I've ever heard before and it asserts itself with such a formidable um presence at the very beginning. It literally slaps you across the face in the go-between. And that film, which is set, you know, in the turn of the century, bucolic English countryside about a coming-of-age story of a kid, it is. it feels even less relevant to a prior crime that the story is emanating from. Uh, but it forces you into this active state of literally questioning every frame, every inch of the screen. You're looking for clues that might fulfill what the music is telling you, where the music is telling you the film is headed. And I just thought that was exactly what we needed, was an active slap across the face to the viewer for this film that made it, put it in your hands to be thinking and questioning and kind of thrilled by not knowing where you, where you fall. Um, again, this is all, this was all like wishful. You, you take risks, you try this, you hope this will work. And in a schedule, this, this tight, we only shot it one way. We shot it the way you saw it, which is with these sustained shots and these mirror scenes when people direct address to the lens and all that and I played the music throughout the course of the shoot to kind of put everybody in this sort of mindset. All we knew is that we were having the time of our lives while we were making it. And if anything, that made me mistrust the outcome of the film even more because I'm like, this is, this is too much fun. I'm enjoying being with these people way too much. So the film is clearly going to suck. So good. What's your relationship like with your kids? How is that relevant? Heard the actress playing my mother. Look me in the eye and tell me how selfish you are. You used the word morality earlier on. Do you, are actors amoral <laughs> in terms of how they go about their business? Um, that's a that's a that's a tricky question. Um, I sort of think all storytelling is amoral, and I don't think the moral agenda that we try to attach now to uh, positive representation of this kind of subject or that is serving the interests of great filmmaking. And um, I don't know that that's ever been 
uh, characteristic of the most interesting moments in film history and the most interesting work by certain directors. I think they want to push into places of discomfort and where where you have to ask hard questions and feel conflicted emotions about the things that you're seeing and watch human beings struggle maybe against their own self-interest in self-destructive ways or in destructive ways that beg a lot of questions about how hard it, you know, that raise questions about the fact that it's really hard to be alive in the world and to figure out the best way to solve your, your problems in, in your life. So, but on a very specific answer to your question, your interesting question, I haven't worked with actors that display anything close to the, <laughs> to the, uh, you know, recklessness, let's say, of of Elizabeth uh, and that character. Um, but I found the whole premise of these two women at the core of the story being so self-interested and so willful and so able to pursue their own desires in their lives and having men yield to those desires, right? I, I, you know, that's not typically the kind of female characters that I represent, that I'm, that I, that, that, that I've explored in my films of, in the past, but I found it to be really fascinating in this one. And I don't think it would work if you didn't have the sensitive portrayal of, of Joe as the real third act of this film. Thank you for doing this. Well, I want you to tell the story, right? Don't I? They're sweet, aren't they? We've been together for almost 24 years now. It's hard to trust that you're going to represent things as they were. What would make a 36-year-old woman have an affair with a 7th grader? Todd Haynes talking with Dan Slevin. May December opens around the country this week. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to <laughs> pretend that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold and our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. <laughs> 